0: My name is Joseph Castillo. I'm the small group's pastor here at Brazos Point. And I'm joined this morning by Michelle, our Connections Minister, and Randy, one of our executive pastors here, uh, to talk a little bit about our Christmas series this year that's called Christmas Never Gets Old. And so I'm excited about kind of an out-of-the-box Christmas series this year as we look ahead to Christmas. Uh, But before we jump in, my first question to you guys is the series is called Christmas Never Gets Old. So I want to know kind of hot take what is something connected to the Christmas season or traditions that actually has gotten old for you?
1: So, for me, it's Paul McCartney's uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Mm. I don't know if anybody in the room loves it. My guess is you probably don't. because I
2: thought of it. It's simply having a wonderful Christmas time.
1: Over and over and over again, it's the yeah. worst. Mm. And honestly, I think any song, Christmas song by the Beatles, is probably on my list, but that's not my hot take. My hot take, and this is probably pretty controversial, is stockings. Like, I love all things stockings. Christmas, but I don't love stockings because there's five of us. And not only does, you know, Santa do the stockings at our house, but all three sets of grandparents do stockings for all five of us. So it's five times four. That's 20 stockings of stocking stuffers. And it's just a bunch of useless stuff, <laughs> right?
2: It's like tiny little trash bags it's hanging like, on the yes, mantel. It's
1: like, <laughs> it's an overwhelming amount of Stuff.
2: (laughs) Okay, I thought of one. I was having a hard time thinking of one because actually I love all things Christmas quite a bit, including this, but it does get old, and that is Hallmark Christmas movies. So, I know, I know, I know, I love them, I I do... Unlike
1: the Hallmark Christmas movie, that was not predictable. I I was going to say, I know
2: that they're just as predictable on December 1st as they are on December 25th, but I do start out loving them, and... Then they get old. They get old. That
0: might be more controversial than stockings It may be at Christmas. What you got, Joseph? Mine is was was people were mad at me after the first service. Uh, was uh, the movie A Christmas Story. I don't disagree. That was audible response. It was, was that worse than stockings? I'd rather listen to Paul
1: McCartney than watch that movie. Yeah, well.
0: So there are things for us that do get old over time. Maybe we are forced to do them or we've just done them for so long. But our Christmas series this year is called Christmas Never Gets Old, really tied to the message and the point of Christmas is what really never gets old. So, Randy, tell us a little bit about this series,
1: yeah, I think our hope is that it is a unique approach to Christmas time, and I think we can get in the the rut of just expecting the Christmas story to be at the centerpiece, and it is. But instead, this year, what we're doing is we're starting at the beginning and we're ending at the end. We're really covering from Genesis to Revelation and talking about how the incarnation of Jesus is at the middle of it, and so. Uh, we're not just staying at the manger. We're starting before that, and we're ending after that, going from Christmas prophecy all the way to the coming of Jesus as he comes again the second time. So I'm just excited about this unique take and, and all of the the parts and angles that we're going to see of Jesus in this.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. It's not often that your Christmas series goes into Jesus coming again, which is super cool. And I love uh, our set, which is super uh yeah, I think I'm going
2: to bring back this tinsel to my tree.
1: <laughs> I will tell y'all, too, that this couch does not smell like you think it does. <laughs> and it's extraordinarily comfortable. It is pretty comfy. Like, I may preach from it. You're <laughs> going to preach from it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, last thing, as we talk about the, the, what we're looking ahead to, celebrating Christmas of Jesus coming to walk amongst us, Just I want to hear from you guys. What is personally something that never gets old about that truth?
2: So for me, it is Jesus as the answer, Jesus as the fulfillment of longing. And, you know, some of the missionaries that we support who are working with unengaged, unreached people groups um, in remote parts of the world, the way that they share Jesus with folks, especially ones who have more of an oral tradition than, and they don't have the Bible written in their language, is chronologically, they do chronological Bible storing. And I love that you talked about how we're starting in the Old Testament and going all the way through. And the reason that's how those missionaries do that is because you're just setting the stage and then by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they have been waiting for him. They are ready for him, they see the need for him. And I also love the timelessness of that because he's the answer to all of our needs too. He's the He's the fulfillment of what we're longing for, even when we don't realize it.
0: Mm, that's good. I think for me, one of the things that I always think about and reminded with Christmas is just the, the truth that Jesus came, humbled himself to, to actually not to be born a baby, but to walk amongst us and to walk as a human. And I, it's just such a reminder to me that Jesus understands what it's like for us. Uh, Hebrews says that he is the better high priest, that He we have a high priest that can empathize with us, that he has felt the same things we've had. He, he understands what it's like to worry, to be afraid, to have anxiety, to, to walk in the same shoes we do um, in many ways. And so it's just such an encouragement to me to know that as I, I pray and, and Jesus really does understand exactly what it is I'm feeling.
1: I think for me to, to be piggyback a little bit on what you're talking about, uh, an author and speaker that I just really respect and, and have learned a lot from, her name is Ann Voskamp. Uh, she writes a lot about Christmas. And one of the things that she writes is this simple thing that's it's like poetry, is that in Christmas what you have is the giver becoming the gift. And so you've got generous God who is the giver, gives the gift of himself in the incarnation. And, uh, and so what you see in is this, this ultimate picture of the selfless, self-sacrificing one. And so then for us as followers of Christ, like that's what compels us and propels us to then love in a selfless and sacrificial way. And so like Christmas inspires me, you know, in terms of how I'm going to follow Christ in my home as a husband and as a dad and in my work at the church and that kind of thing. Right. And so I love that about Christmas in the season as I feel like we see little images of selfless and sacrificing love all over the place as we imitate Christ. Well, I'm excited for this series that we
0: kick off today. Um, And just so you guys know, every week we have conversations like this about the messages or other things on our podcast called the, The Brazos Point Living Room. And this week we actually have a special interview with Stephen Searles, who is actively working to plant the Point Church in Seattle, Washington, that we've been talking about for the last several months. So go ahead and check that out. But as we kick off the series today, let me just pray for us as we uh, look ahead to Christmas. Father, thank you uh, for the reminder, God, of, of that everything we do, all of our traditions, all of the songs that we love or don't love, God, they all ultimately are meant to focus our attention and our hearts on you. So Father, we thank you for what we celebrate during this season, that you came to us, that you walked amongst us, and Father, you understand us, and you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So Father, use this time, um, Lord, in these weeks to just remind us of who you are and the good news that you brought with you. Lord, we love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: How cool is the image on this old TV? That amazes me that Andrew and David figured out how to do that. As we kick off this Christmas series, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Maybe today, as you come into this space with this beginning, this transition from Thanksgiving right into Christmas, uh, maybe you find yourself in this space where you need a clear message of hope. Like the circumstances of life right now leave you in a spot where you just need something to have hope in. I'm curious if you've, you've been in a spot before or if you're in a spot today where you just needed a promise that everything's going to be okay. You just needed someone to tell you it's going to be all right. Or maybe you come into this space today and you are so desperate to have something, anything to be excited about, just something good to anticipate, even if you know that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, I will tell you from the start, as I set this up, I am not talking today about Aggie football, right? Uh, I know what that's like to, to anticipate something, to have your dreams crushed, and then just get them crushed over and over and over again until last night, which it got a little bit better. But I wonder if you've ever been in that space where you just eagerly anticipated something and then felt the sting of disappointment when it didn't come to be the way that you hoped that it would come To be, I see a picture of this very scene every Friday. Let me set this up for you, all right? On Fridays, I go and have lunch with my wife Ashley, who is a second grade teacher at Best Brannon, and we have a consistent, cheap date. On Fridays, I bring takeout to the school and eat with her in her classroom. During the years of COVID, we actually had our lunch out in the parking lot when I wasn't allowed in the school. We've done this for years. It's something that I love to do, and that is not the thing that's disappointing. All right, what I see—hopes dashed, the the promise of possibility being uh, just crushed, and the devastating disappointment of anticipation being dashed—is pretty much every Friday when I see the little elementary school kid who's expecting mom or dad to come have lunch with them, and as they're moving from class to lunch, they find out that their parents have forgotten. Have you ever seen this go down? It's sad, y'all. It's, it's devastating. I've seen it so many times, and I see my wife and other teachers, they come in and they pull the child into them and they say, Hey, sweetie, I think you need to go ahead and grab a plate lunch just in case. And you see the kid's lip quiver and that big crocodile tear in their eye. And they say, no, he's coming. He promised. She's coming. She promised. And they said, just go ahead and get you a plate lunch. It's the saddest, most devastating thing, y'all. It's awful. And what I want to do in that space is I want to just pull that kid in and say, listen, kid, life's disappointing. (laughs) And also, kid, think about it twice before you become a football fan, an Aggie football fan, all right? Sometimes life stinks. And also, kids, you need to know this. Your parents are doing the best that they can. Something came up. All right, Jack? (laughs) The truth is, y'all, the things that we anticipate, they get bigger, right? The things that we anticipate get bigger than lunch with mom or dad at school. They get bigger than the hope of Chick-fil-A nuggets on a Friday. The things that we anticipate like the promotion or the raise that didn't happen or didn't happen the way that we hoped they would, the things that we anticipate like the test score that's going to move our GPA the way we need it to move and it doesn't happen the way that we hoped, or the things like the test that's actually a medical test that we hope shows some progress against beating this disease. But instead, it shows that we're actually moving in the other direction. The things that we anticipate become bigger, like reconciliation in the fractured relationship. But instead of moving together, we find ourselves continually just moving further and further apart. The things that we anticipate get way bigger than Chick-fil-A nuggets. And the truth is, the weight of the disappointment becomes far greater than just settling for school pizza. When we had our hearts set on Chick-fil-A nuggets. Life is bigger than all of that and bigger than college football too. And so maybe you're here today and you need a message of hope. Maybe you're here today and life this week has been really, really hard. Life this week, life this month, life this year has felt extraordinarily hard, and you need someone to give you a promise that it's all going to be okay. Maybe you're here today, and you come with a sense of desperation. You're desperate to have something good to anticipate. Y'all, I've got good news, really good news. But I will warn you, it's going to get worse before it gets good. Turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is in the Old Testament of the Bible. If you'll turn about halfway through your Bible, you'll probably end up in the Psalms and Proverbs and keep going just a little bit to the right, and you'll find this large Old Testament book called Isaiah. Now, this is a unique place to start our Christmas series as we shared just a few moments ago from the couch. We are beginning in the Old Testament, not at the beginning of the New Testament, with Matthew 1 or Luke 2, where you have the narrative, the, the, the story of the birth of Jesus, how he was miraculously born in a humble stable. He was born to a virgin mother. And to to his earthly father, where all of that is recorded. Instead of starting there, we're actually going to go backward and begin with what we would call Christmas prophecy that comes from Isaiah the prophet. In order to understand that, we need to first establish what a prophet is. A prophet is a person that is bringing a message from God. They're empowered by God to speak for God. Now, there's plenty of folks that would think they're prophets, and they think they have a message from God, but it's not empowered by God. For someone to truly be a prophet, it's that on God's behalf, they bring a message that God has given them. And that's who Isaiah is. And Isaiah's message for the people of God was a difficult one. It's a hard message. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem about 750 years before Christ. And God sent him with a message for the people that was a message of judgment. But also it's a message of hope, of great hope but judgment's a part of it. God sent him to proclaim to his people that rebellion comes at a cost and the consequence for their perpetual rebellion would be quite costly. The consequence that that Isaiah is predicting, prophesying, telling them about is that God is going to unleash the powerful nations of Assyria and Babylon to come against God's people, the nation of Israel, as a punishment for their persistent idolatry, their worshiping, their endless worship of false gods and fake idols. And also, don't miss this, their ongoing oppression of the vulnerable among them. They have violated God's will and God's laws by uh, oppressing the poor and the vulnerable that live among them. And so Isaiah brings this message to God's people. And y'all, it's a classic case of I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. And Isaiah didn't ask which one he wanted, they wanted him to start with. He just went ahead and led with the bad. He said, here is this, the, the bad is this, the almighty is about to smite you. But there's good news. The good news is that the character of our God is unchanged. Our God always keeps his promises and his promises will still come to be. And God also has a plan to come that is remarkable. And so what you see in Isaiah 8, right before today's verses, is some of the darkest of the dark. Some of the darkest parts of the bad news in Isaiah 8. And then it begins in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And at this point, he's prophesying of what is to come in the future. The people walking in darkness will see this great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And in these verses, what Isaiah is doing is he's warning Israel, because of the darkness inside of you, because of your internal darkness, your hardened heart, because of your ongoing disobedience, There is a darkness that is coming. There is a darkness that is coming, but you need to know this from before even the darkness comes. The darkness will not prevail. It's not going to win in the end. You will experience a great life-changing light. Light will overcome the power of darkness. That's a part of Isaiah's initial message to the people. And I wonder about you today, where you sit, what you come in with today. Have you been walking in darkness and you feel the weight of that darkness? Have you been walking in the the darkness of a bad diagnosis? Have you been walking in the, the darkness? of fractured and broken relationships? Have you been walking in the darkness that comes with financial struggle and the tension and strain that comes with that? Or maybe have you also been walking in the internal darkness of of disobedience? Let's not miss that, that Israel's darkness was a result of their disobedience. That's not always the case, but sometimes it is. Sometimes our darkness is a result of our own disobedience and our own self-imposed distance from the light of God's love. We move ourselves further and further away from the constant light of God's love. Sometimes we choose darkness, but sometimes darkness just happens to us, right? Sometimes the darkness that we experience is something that just happens to us, around us. Darkness inside, and then sometimes darkness comes from the outside. Sometimes we experience it not because of what we've done, but simply because we live in a fallen and broken and dark world. But there's a promise to Israel and a promise for us. And maybe you need to hear this promise. It's that light is coming and darkness will not prevail. Will not prevail. And the good news just gets better. Isaiah 9, three. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, we'll talk about that in a few moments, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel on the fire. What you see in these verses is that the good news is just getting better. It's growing and getting greater because there is this coming light. And as a result of the coming light, not only will darkness not prevail, not only will darkness be defeated, but the grief of the people will be transformed to great joy. Their great sadness and sorrow will be turned into rejoicing. And so Isaiah warns the people, but he also promises on behalf of God. And here's the promise. The promise is that what is to come will be so great that it will be even greater than the stories of old that they celebrate, right? And it talks about Midian's defeat. This is a story that's been passed from generation to generation of the provision of God when he delivered their people from their enemy Midian in the days of Gideon. The Gideon, the guy who was a judge, a general, and a prophet, it's a miraculous story. And what he's saying is as miraculous and amazing and awesome as that was, the reason that we've told it from generation to generation to generation, what is to come is going to be greater. The enemy that will be defeated will be defeated even more more completely what he's saying here is that what is to come the promise of what is to come is going to be liberating it's going to liberate us as a people in ways that are new in ways that are indescribable it is going to quote break the burden shatter the yoke end the oppression and I wonder about you this morning how many of you need those promises how many of you need the promise of freedom of being liberated from, from sin, delivered from addiction? How many of you need the promise of being liberated from the sickness that you experience? How many of you need the promise of being liberated from the struggles that you face? We come in with real life, heavy, weighty stuff. and We need hope. And Israel must have been so encouraged by this promise. The bad news was bad, but the good news is better. They must have been so encouraged by this promise of the good news. And at this point in Isaiah's message, they must have wondered what is the source of this great light? If this light is going to overcome the darkness, where will this light come from? Where will this light that will bring total and complete victory over our enemies, where will this come from? And what I want you to see in this is that the promise is not a what. The promise is a who. Who? The source of this light is not a what. The source of this light is a person. To see that, I want you to skip over verse 6 and let's go on to to verse 7. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, Of the greatness of his government, it's a person. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. David, Israel's greatest king. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And as Isaiah would have said this and wrote this, the people would have said, hallelujah, there it is. The promised light is coming from a new king. A new king who is even greater than our greatest king, King David, who reigned over Israel's greatest period of time. Verse 7 describes for us this perfect king, and the good news just keeps getting better because this perfect king that's greater than even David, his kingdom will never end. Unlike David's, it will have a starting point, but it will have no ending point. He will rule over the kingdom forever and ever and ever, and under his rule, under his reign, the people will know nothing other than endless peace, absolute justice, and a life-altering, nation-changing righteousness. Now, doesn't that sound hopeful? Doesn't that sound good? It almost sounds too good to be true. And so we know that the source of this light is a, a who, it's a, a person. So it's who is he? Who is this promised king? Who is this forever king? Who is this one that we will greatly anticipate to deliver us from our enemies? Whoever it is, it must be someone that is unique. Someone unlike anyone the world has ever seen. It must be someone so powerful, so brilliant, so extraordinary. And maybe this morning you've got an idea of who this king is, right? Maybe you do. Because you know Matthew 1. You know Luke 2. You know the narrative of the nativity. Maybe you don't. If you don't, then you can walk in their shoes because they didn't. We live on the other side of the revelation of Jesus. But they didn't know. And at this point, they're like, Isaiah, who is it? Who is this coming king? And I want you to go back to verse 6, and you may recognize verse 6. It may sound familiar. You may have seen it on a Christmas card or heard it in a Christmas song. I want you to actually read it out loud with me this morning. If you guys would, put it on the screen. Isaiah 9, 6, 4. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is it? You see, 750 years before the child was born, 750 years before the son was given, before the humble birth in a stable to a virgin in this lowly manger, Israel is anticipating the coming of Jesus. And truly, this expectation didn't start with Isaiah's prophecy 750 years before Christ. No, this expectation started at the very beginning with the very beginning promises of God. This anticipation for Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. When you go to the, the creation story. And you see the perfect garden of Eden that God had created and he established a relationship with the people that he had created and he dwelt among them and he lived in fellowship with them. And then in that garden, we see the temptation. We see the fall of man. We see Adam and Eve's decision to choose rebellion and sin over trust and obedience. We see their disobedience there at the beginning. We see the darkness moving in with the fall of man. And we see the start of disobedience. And from the very beginning, what we see is God's promise of deliverance. We see God's message of hope from right there in Genesis 3. He made a promise to deliver the people. From the very start. The hope has been there since the very beginning. He will deliver them from the darkness, from their own disobedience, and from themselves. And He has a plan for deliverance. And y'all, He just keeps promising. And He also just keeps delivering. That's the story. The story continues promise over promise, deliverance over deliverance, one delivery over another delivery, one offer of relationship and grace over after another offering of relationship and grace. It's all throughout the story. You have Noah and the ark. That's promise and deliverance. You have Moses in the Red Sea, promise and deliverance. Joshua in the promised land. Gideon that we've already spoken about with his small army, with the trumpets and with the jars and with the victory over the enemy. You have David and his victory over Goliath. You have Daniel in the lion's den. Promise after promise after promise. Deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. Hope after hope after hope. Over and over and over again. That is the story of our God. And the reality is each and every delivery, each and every plan points to the ultimate deliverer and to his ultimate plan. All of this is pointing to Jesus. And in Isaiah 9-6, this promise is the big one. Right? This promise in Isaiah 9-6 is the big one. It's the promise of the perfect king who will rule forever. It's the promise of Jesus. And Isaiah 9-6 isn't Isaiah's only Christmas prophecy. There's another one that might sound familiar to you. Look at it on the screens. It's Isaiah seven fourteen, just a chapter or two before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. We sang about this earlier. Emmanuel means God with us. We call Jesus the Emmanuel because it's the giver becoming the gift. It's God coming to dwell among us, to be with us like it was in the beginning in the garden. We see the promise of this child that would be born to us who is himself almighty God. This promise is a promise of Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, the promised deliverer that will come and deliver the people from their enemies. He will deliver them. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. When we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's what we're saying. That's not his last name. It's Jesus Christ. That word Christ means Messiah. Messiah is the promised one of Israel that will come and deliver their people. He is the hope of God's people. He is the one that they will anticipate for generations, for years. He is the one that they expect, and with with longing and with expectation, they anticipate and wait for him to come. And they did, they did expect him. And they anticipated him for years and years and years. And when he did come, when he did come, Matthew 1, when he did come, Luke 2, they did not recognize him. They missed it. After all the years of expectation and anticipation, they did not recognize him because his humility and his purpose did not line up with their hopes and their expectations. Simply put, Jesus was not what they wanted. He didn't look like what they thought he should look like. His behavior wasn't the way that they expected him to behave, and so they missed him. And yet... He fulfilled every single one of these Old Testament prophecies. He did all of the promise. We've seen it for ourselves over the last many weeks as we've journeyed through the Gospel of John and found Jesus over and over again in the Gospel of John. We've seen things like him being the light of the world, right? He is the light of the world. Isaiah 9, a light is coming. A light is coming. Jesus, I am the light of the world. We've seen Jesus in John as the treasure Right, The source of greatest joy. We've seen Jesus in the Gospel of John as the deliverer who will lead us to total victory over our greatest enemy, sin. We've seen Jesus as the God-man that was miraculously born of a virgin. We will see Jesus in the Gospel of John as the king who will be crowned with thorns. As the king who will be lifted up on a cross to be crucified. We will see Jesus in the gospel of John as the king who has a kingdom that will be forever it isn't temporary and it isn't earthly it's heavenly and it is eternal the reality is Jesus delivers on every one of the promises and they anticipated him so greatly and they missed him so deeply and the message for us this morning is let's be so careful not to do the same let's not miss Jesus Maybe you're here today, and you need a message of hope. Maybe life has been really hard this week, this month, or this year, and you need a promise that everything is going to be okay. Maybe you're here, and you came in desperate, and you just desperately need something to anticipate, something to be excited about. Don't miss Jesus. miss Jesus. Y'all for me, Christmas never gets old. I love it all. I love all of the traditions. I love all of the gatherings. I love all of the food. I love all of the food. I love all of the decorations. We've already decorated our house. We do it before Thanksgiving. I love all of the music, except for Paul McCartney. I loved all of the gift exchanges, except for stockings. I love all of the lights. I love it. I love it all. I love all of those things that come with Christmas. I enjoy it. I've even got on my Christmas cactus socks this morning, y'all. I love Christmas. And maybe this morning you would say, I don't. I don't love any of that stuff. It's okay. Listen to me. I promise you, if you're one of those people, it's okay to not love Christmas. All of that stuff, if all of that stuff gets old for you, that's okay because the truth is all of that stuff that comes with Christmas can actually be a distraction. Pulling our mind's attention and our heart's affections away from what matters most. It really is okay if you don't love all of that stuff because the part of Christmas that never gets old is the story of Christ. That's the part that matters. Let's major on the majors. The hope of Christmas, the hope of Christ is always worth celebrating year over year, week over week. The promise of Christ that we anticipate the coming of the king, this king who will reign forever, who will destroy the enemy of sin. That's worth anticipating like a kid waits for Christmas presents. Right? You know that anticipation of a kid that just can't wait for Christmas morning to open those gifts, to go through those stockings. We know that feeling. Or maybe, maybe the anticipation of Christ is even better. Maybe it's even different. It's a better illustration. It's like the kid at school on a Friday who's anticipating mom or dad coming to have lunch with them and bringing them chicken nuggets. Not because they love chicken nuggets, but because they love mom. Because they love dad. That's why they're so sad. Right? They don't just love them for what they bring them. They love them for who they are. Listen to me. Jesus came. He didn't miss it. He didn't forget. He wasn't late. He came and he's coming again. And celebrating him, loving him, being with him, it never gets old. Jesus never gets old. And that's what this season is about. That's what this series is about. And that is what Advent is about. And maybe you're not familiar with that term, Advent. Let me give it to you. Advent is this. It's the expectant waiting and intentional preparation for the celebration of the incarnation of Christ and his return. That's a lot of words. Let me give it to you one more time. Advent is the expectant waiting. And it's the intentional preparation of our hearts and minds for the celebration of the birth of Christ and the promise that he's coming again, celebrating God given to us, God for us, the giver becoming the gift. He is our hope. And y'all, this Christmas, don't miss Jesus. Advent. Prepare. Focus. Honestly, I want to challenge every one of you to do this, right? Christ followers. Let's lean into this. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower because you know that this is a safe place to come and have real questions about faith and search and seek out the truth, you're in the right spot. But I even want to challenge you to Advent with us. Let's all Advent together. Let's all expectantly wait. Let's all intentionally prepare. Let's all focus our hearts and minds on the Christ of Christmas. Let's prepare our hearts for him. Let's celebrate him week over week, day over day. And we don't want to just challenge you to this. We want to give you resources for this. I want you to Advent together. Together at church and week over week, we'll do this through this message series. We'll do this at our Christmas Eve Eve celebration. We're going to Advent together. I want you to Advent together in your homes. Eagerly expect the coming of Christ. Prepare your hearts in your homes with your families around your dinner tables. Do this even on your own. Advent individually. Advent in your own personal relationship with Jesus. And we want to resource you for this. So for families, over the last couple weeks, our NextGen team has been sending home resources for you to advent together as a family. They've been sent home with preschoolers and elementary kids and preteen. Take those resources. We have given you those tools. Use them. Use them. Do the best you can to use them, to, to have family time around those things. Use those resources. And maybe you don't have kids in preschool and elementary and preteen. We're going to give you resources. Those very same resources are available. We've got the next gen resource at the Next Step Center, or it's at the Guide Marks Resource Center. But in addition to that, I've got daily scripture reading plans that couldn't be more simple. I've got things that are good for families with teenagers and students. I've got things that are good for individuals. There's something for everyone over there in those printed resources. But also, we've got digital resources if you look at the seat back in front of you and tap your phone do do it right now you can do it right now put your phone on that or scan that that uh, image and it'll take you to digital resources that will give you advent bible studies advent videos to watch all different web-based resources we want to not just challenge you to it we want to equip you for it and give you the tools to focus your mind and heart on christ because in all the season's busyness We must prioritize and prepare for Jesus. And we have to start now. Don't miss Jesus. Let's pray. God, this morning, we pray that you would fix our mind's attention and our heart's affection on Christ, the King, God with us, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Prince of Peace. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray that you would lead us in celebration of him, not just in this season, but leveraging our whole lives for our king and his kingdom. God, even now this morning, as the band leads us in this next song of worship, I pray that our hearts would be fixed and focused on you as we celebrate and praise you, our King of Kings.